2: This is Reasons to Be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd.
3: Hello, oh, hey, we are on location. We are on location. Do you want to do you want to explain why we're on location? Well, there I
4: was on my way to Jeff's, driving. Admittedly. And uh, I suddenly got an absolutely massive flat tyre, if you can have a massive flat tyre. So, what happened? Was it dramatic? Did you have to pull I across three lanes of traffic? I suddenly heard this terrible noise
3: I thought that doesn't sound good. And <laughs> pulled over, and it's as flat as I think. I must have driven over something. So, my first question is why didn't you just get your spare tyre and change it yourself? Well that's because you weren't with me and if you'd been with me it would have been fantastic and perfect. I mean there'd be a real Laurel and Hardy
4: component. I think if I can't handle a bacon sandwich I don't think I can handle <laughs> a flat tire. I mean I think it is ba- it's a general test of whether you're completely hopeless or not whether you can change a tire. Yeah yeah. I'm, I'm sort of
3: visualizing you as Mr Bean. you yeah, thanks. Trying to trying it to It wouldn't have that. gone well would it? No. No. So uh, we So R- we are waiting for the RAC <laughs> and and we're
4: outside a, a very nice lady's house called the Arbo. And, and this is going to be your Reason to yeah, be cheerful. She's my reason to be cheerful because she agreed to look after. Because it's in a sort of residence parking zone, and I'm not a resident. But she, while we went and recorded our very interesting discussion on social enterprise, she sort of looked out for the car. I left a note for the traffic wardens. So I haven't got a ticket. So out of an <laughs> uncheerful situation, I think it's cheerful. And just on the subject of Ed scrawling, and then somebody <laughs> tried to buy
3: the, somebody tried to buy the car off
4: me. So he enough. left a
3: note on his windscreen. And somebody thought it was a for-sale sign on the car. Is that Mr Iabo? What's his name? Raul. Raoul, nice to meet you, Raul. Raul, me. Iabo, Raul. your reasons to be cheerful. Yeah,
4: you're another reason to be cheerful.
3: Yeah. Well, my reason to be cheerful is the official podcast cookie, which is, we've talked about it on many occasions, the miso and white chocolate... Uh, From Esther's Cafe in Stoke Newington, it's been voted the best cookie in London by London Eater, the website. Uh, Basically, ever since we stopped eating it,
4: (laughs) because we we were sort of worried about our dietary sort of situation. Both Jeff and I stopped eating these cookies because we were just becoming the cookie monster, (laughs) Uh, and and basically that seems to have triggered the winning of the award. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's brilliant. Yes, it's a good compensation for them for the kind of lack of trade. Lack of
3: trade. (laughs) Because they expectantly ask you each week, don't they? They've stopped now. I mean, right. I kept having to reply. They send me a direct message on Twitter and I kept having to say, we're on a health kick at the moment, no yeah. cookies for us. But, but they are healthy cookies. They're in very the, good. In cook- the cookie spectrum. Yeah, very much so, the ha- homemade. Should we talk about what we're going to talk about? We should. Social enterprise. Yes, so we're talking
4: about businesses founded for a social purpose. And, you know, it's a really interesting... <laughs> What's happening now? This is a whole bunch of school kids coming to change their tyre. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, it's about business... <laughs> it's about... It seems to be a school trip. Keep, uh, keep going, it'll it's be impossible bu- to edit with this it's noise a, it's in the about background bus- if you don't. It's about businesses founded for a social purpose, and some of our really interesting businesses in this country, like uh, Café Direct, which is a, the largest fair trade coffee company... Hello, Belu, hello. Hello. <laughs> Belu Water. Hello, hello. Which sells water to the House of Commons. Um, that. that uh, uh...
3: <laughs>
4: Keep going, Ed. Keep going. Uh, anyway, anyway, we're talking to that, and we're talking to Karen Lynch, who's the
3: head of Belu Water, and we're talking to Peter Holbrook. Who who's is the, the chief, chief executive, executive of
4: Social Enterprise UK.
3: Yeah, and as well as that, coming to pitch some ideas which could be potential reasons to be cheerful, we are joined by comedian Joe Burke. Any sign of the RAC man yet? No sign of the RAC man.
1: Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd.
3: We're delighted to be joined by Karen Lynch, who's chief executive of Blue, and Peter Holbrook, chief executive of Social Enterprise UK. Hello.
0: Hello, Hello.
3: Uh, Petra. I thought we could start by asking you to define social enterprise for us
0: as the name suggests, they're businesses, but what makes them different is they have a, a primary purpose to do something positive in our communities, in our society or indeed in our world, and that primary purpose means that they look and feel slightly different, even though when you 're consuming a product or using a service, you might not be aware that it is being delivered by a social business
4: and you can see why like a company like Carillion might find it hard to claim that their primary purpose was a social one, given some of the issues that they faced. But how gray is this definition? I mean, in other words, lots of businesses might claim, uh, well, actually, you know, we have a social purpose, we have an environmental purpose. Is, is, it, is it hard and fast? Or is it sort of flexible?
0: We don't have primary legislation in the same way that we have for charities, for example. So the the term is subject to secondary legislation. And sometimes, yes, hotly contested debates about where the line should be drawn. But Social Enterprise UK has always been consistent with government and indeed the European Union, that the primacy of that social purpose has to be evident. It has to be written into the rules of the company. They have to distribute a minimum of 50% of their profits back into their social cause. And then thirdly, uh, which is really important, they have to be owned by no one, such as in charities, the community um, or society, or by a specific group of members, uh, which by its very nature is open to all. Um, and so owned by community, society or no one, ownership is critical, trading is critical and purpose is critical.
3: Karen, can we talk to you about Baloo? So your background is in media and banking. Uh, can you tell us what Baloo does and, and how it's different from um, a typical company?
2: Blue was different in many ways, and, and to join those two things together... I found Blue because I was looking for purpose. I knew I was good at running businesses, and and I had a job, but was left feeling a little bit unfulfilled. So it was a pursuit for purpose that led me to Blue.
4: You were at Barclays.
2: I was at that time, yes. And I had spent the the, the whole of that year going to people, "What's your purpose?" You know, well, if all jobs paid exactly the same. What job would you do? That's looking a great question. It's yes, my favourite question. I was asking the same question of myself. Didn't know the answer, and a few things happened in my life which made me go, "Right, life's too short." let's just crack on and you'll find it. It was probably the bravest thing that I did. When I came across blue i didn 't know the term social enterprise. In fact, the term social enterprise was something I came across at a a trade show which we were exhibiting at essentially blue is is the, the bigger mission of the business is is to try and influence everyone running a business and individuals that there is a better kind of way to be and to be in business so rather than get rich and then solve the world 's problems, what if we combined the two and through the course of business rather than charity? we each make a positive difference. And in it's the world. Water, just
4: so everyone knows, it produces, I mean, it's water. Yes.
2: Yeah, so we just happen to be in the water business, which with the benefit of hindsight, I'm sure there are easier markets to be in It's a it's a tough place. But we supply mineral water in bottles, filtration systems, refillable bottles to hotels, restaurants, food outlets in the UK. Yes, Houses the Parliament. Um, and it's all trading. 100% of our revenues are from selling product and services. Uh, really important to us that we make a profit because every one of our products we want to exemplify what the environmental standard in our sector should be. So using recycled plastics or bottles to make bottles or lightweighting design.
4: Completely recycled your bottles?
2: A minimum of 50% and we have done 100% but raw material supply chain is is the challenge there. Um, So we sell our products to market. We've created a brand that's all about values, about environment first, and then the reinvestment of all of our profits into ending water poverty. So Blue's profits, all of them, go to WaterAid.
4: And who are you owned by?
2: So the profit shares of Blue are owned by the Blue Foundation and they, under contract, basically have gifted the profit shares of Blue to WaterAid, to WaterAid UK. So up until the idea is we're aligned behind Global Goal 6 and to 2030, a mission to end water poverty.
4: And how much money a year or over time has gone from your profits to- so
2: like like most businesses, what we have to do is grow and grow into profitability yeah. um It started off small up until March last year, we'd managed to generate as a small business three million pounds, and our current run rate is a million pounds per annum of net profits now, with seven people on the team, you know in terms of um, an indicator of net profit you can deliver per employee if you've got a really strong mission, I think it's a great example to inspire any small business that they can make a big difference
4: and how's it different from working at Barclays if that's not a stupid question
2: um it's tougher I would say it's more inspiring it's more frustrating but I guess the big things are um but I love about social enterprise is this joining together of people around purpose and positive intent. So every problem can be an opportunity. And instead of telling people they're bad is to align people around making good happen. So collaborating, you know, was the new competition for me. Um, I've loved that. Lack of resources sometimes is frustrating, uh, but I wouldn't go back for, for anything.
3: And when you joined it, it was loss-making. Was that because it was in growth or, you know, did it need your corporate brain to come in and take a look at it in a different way?
2: I mean, we always talk about Blue as a story of of two halves. So old Blue then was actually very much an, an, an ahead of its time, anti-bottled water campaigning brand. And it was, you know, saying, it's bad, you know, you need to stop. Um, And it didn't have a sustainable trading model. You know, the model of the new Blue, with War Trade as the partner from 2011, has been around you know, buying the odd bottle of water doesn't make you a bad person. What you do with that bottle or how many you buy is the important thing. We all need to take responsibility for our consumerism. And if you're running a business that's making profit out of selling these products, you need to make responsible choices. So they're very different businesses. And of course, um, you know, when I came to Blue, I didn't envisage becoming the, the, the chief exec at all. It was full of idealism of here's what you need to do. Um, and then the rest is, is history, really.
3: And is there, is there a difference in not working in an environment that's not... Driven by shareholder dividends and, and, and share price and so on.
2: It's a great discussion. You know, who are the shareholders? What are the exit strategy? Whenever I am in a business environment, there are great discussions to be had. You know, ideally there is no exit strategy other than we can all retire because you know, water poverty is gone and we don't use single use products anymore. The shareholders in blue are actually the people who don't have access to clean drinking water or a toilet, you know, in countries like Madagascar, where ninety percent of the people still don't have a toilet.
3: So do you feel more responsible to them in, in a way? Than you would in a corporate environment
2: more motivated right to be successful
3: and peter Karen, baloo
4: is a great example but there are lots of other examples of great social enterprises just give a little bit of a flavor of that for our listeners the, the famous names, some of them that people have heard of, some of them they weren't, just to give a sense of the breadth of the of, of the area and the industry.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, our origins are very proudly in the cooperative movement. And therefore, you know, you go back all the way to the Rochdale Pioneers and you look at the great work that the group and all of the different cooperatives have done around the country over, over now centuries. Uh, and it's very, very inspiring. You've also got Welsh Water that provide all the utility of water across the whole of Wales operating and constituted as a social enterprise. Um, you 've got many many existing in health and social care um, providing children 's residential care, adult residential care, star phoned nurse groups, delivering community services uh, some of my favorites in the last sort of like six or seven years. Uh, and I'm both an environmentalist and someone that's very invested in society Are those that do both a bit like Baloo. And the community energy schemes that we've seen emerge in the last 10 years are incredibly inspiring. Um, they decentralize our uh, energy infrastructure, which is a good thing. Uh, they create renewable energy, which decarbonizes our economy, which is a good thing. They empower local people to take control of the services on which they depend. Um, and this has all been... You know, driven and created by communities self organizing and finding solutions and, and it's empowering, it's enlivening, it's c- reducing the costs on civic buildings like schools. Um, and hospitals by putting solar panels on those buildings and then utilising the profits to tackle fuel poverty. I mean, it's a, a perfect example of, of how social business is indeed the future of business.
4: And Café Direct, that's another famous Café Direct, The
0: Big Issue, uh, Divine Chocolate, Nationwide Building Society. You know, there's such a, a number of big, big organisations and institutions out there that you will be familiar with, but you perhaps don't know that they are social enterprises. And and just sort of talk us through, I, I know we talked earlier about how sort of clear the
4: line is between uh, a sort of conventional private business and a social enterprise, but talk us through for you what social enterprise brings, and we've had a sort of demonstration of it from Karen, what social enterprise brings as opposed to a conventional private sector company. And how, how does it speak, because I know you've talked about this before, how does it speak to the kind of condition of our time?
0: Well, you know, business is uh, is on a, a massive kind of spectrum, if you like. And uh, on one end, you've got those that ruthlessly seek profit at any cost, the kind of predatory capitalists. Further down the line, you've got private businesses that choose to operate ethically. And, and in most cases, and I've worked for many of them, um, you know, they seek to limit the environmental or social impact that their business has. The difference with social enterprise is that we're all geared up and on a mission to make a positive social impact and a positive environmental impact. Not just limit the impact of our business activities, but put progress, social justice right at the forefront of what we're trying to do. And that's what makes them different because they are constituted to operate for the benefit of communities and society and the planet, not just limit their impact.
4: Now, I was the social enterprise minister, kind of confession, 10 years ago. Um, and and I found it incredibly inspiring working with the sector. What would you say to those who'd say the names like Belu Water, Cafe Direct? They were the big names ten years ago. Where are the new entrants? How has this sector done in the last decade?
0: Um, look, Belu wasn't a big name ten years ago. <laughs> Belu was a startup ten years ago, and today is a is a is a big name. Yeah, it's a, a water brand that you now see on fir- in the first dates restaurant in the House of Commons dining rooms. So uh, there have been new enterprises that have emerged. Many of those have been uh, emerging around public services, actually, because we've seen as a consequence of austerity, just the removal of really important services that people really need to live fulfilling lives. And so social entrepreneurs have been busy in their communities, uh, resurrecting pubs, post offices, um you know, children's daycare centers, all sorts of stuff. But then equally, there's a whole new generation of, of kind of, you know, millennials or generation X, Y, whatever you want to call them. That are frankly fed up with the way the world is yeah. and are setting about creating digital companies and brand new consumer-facing businesses that have that social purpose right in the heart of them. And it's not just around the moral imperative, it's actually about a really smart way of doing business, the productivity gains, the customer loyalty, the staff recruitment advantages you have. So that's why this isn't just a, a kind of a, a, a a something niche. to celebrate and, and some, some sort of you know, like moral ambition that we're on to make business good. What we're doing is saying business this must change and adapt to meet the global challenges and the local and national challenges we face and companies that do that are doing well they're becoming market leaders they're becoming the fastest growing uh, product in their categories uh, and actually the world wants this investors want this citizens want this customers want this workers want this creating a, a you know a system where value is shared and shareholders are not always put in primacy is an equitable way to move the economy.
3: Are there many mixed models um, where, whereby a company maybe decides to do, say, 25% of its profits as social enterprise?
0: Yes, there are, there's a whole growth in recognising that customers and workers respond well to companies that are doing the right thing. So many of them are now doing 10%, 5%, 1%. Um, some of them are doing that really authentically, And others are using it as a bit like Greenwash was back in the day. Mm, Right. Uh, You know, but soon get caught out in many respects. We've seen trading standards intervene when those claims are false. Uh, the Advertising Standards Authority step in.
2: Actually, I think part of the role of us as social enterprises is is, is to set a standard, exemplify the benchmark. Now, that doesn't mean every business is going to become essentially a not-for-profit business because it's purely driven by its purpose. It can't. It already has its investors. But it's a good thing if, you know, if every brand raises its ethical standard, if every business does. What we just need to be really clear about is we're not being misled about the ownership structure and the reason why that business is doing because be more ethical because you believe you can make more profit for your shareholders as long as it's clear and transparent. I know we differ a little bit on our views We do differ.
4: Just explain Um, what you're you're saying. How do you differ?
2: I'm the, you know, we need to get there together. We've got one planet, one world. We want a better, more inclusive society. Business needs social enterprise as part of the overall business landscape, but, you know, capitalism won't cease to exist. And therefore, a positive of that ripple effect of setting the standard is the bar for everybody raises.
0: And I fundamentally think that we're moving into a world where we can no longer accept business as it was once done. It feels completely outdated that we can have this Primary focus on shareholders and shareholders alone. And that's laid out in company law. And I think the challenges are so vast, so interrelated that we need to be bold and we need to radically change the nature of the companies act so that all businesses in effect become social businesses and create shared value for the environment, for society, for workers, investors, the communities in which they operate. Rather than rabidly, you know, pursuing profit at any cost. And unfortunately, the whole infrastructure of business since the industrial revolution has put shareholders, owners in a prime position to take the value extraction from that business. And that is simply unsustainable. This does go back to kind of donut economics with Kate Rayworth. Mm. Saying we need a radical shift in the way we think about business, and business has to be done in a in a way that creates greater social justice and equity.
2: I agree. That's where we need to get there. It's how we get there, you know, because if we, we wait for legislation, then okay, we'll the that's opportunity good, it's for good progress. Good
4: you said that because you set up our next question. So we've got this thing called the Jeffocracy, which you may know about, which is Jeff as the sort of. Uh, not very benign. Why uh, do you keep saying not very okay. benign? It it seems very very benign, very, to very benign to me. Benign is lovely. Benignish. <laughs> i be just favour. Benign, benignish ruler. Uh, okay, so uh, accepting that this is going to be challenging, Jeff decides to make you both the joint sort of ministers for social enterprise. I would you, make
3: them tsars.
4: Czars. <laughs> right. Uh, but 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 you know your writ runs very broadly so you're not going to be sort of obstructed by the treasury or other people you you, you're going to have a lot of freedom here what like what needs to be done
0: so You've got total carte okay. blanche. So Karen's nodding to me to go first. So the, the two principal things yes. uh, that I would do. So I think we need to radically alter the way business and economics is taught in schools and education because we're continuing to teach it like the global financial crisis, climate change. Is not happening. Did not happen. They did, and yeah. we need to teach economics for a modern context, not harking back to the uh, kind of economists of the you know nineteenth century. And then the second thing I would do is absolutely look at reforming companies' law because at the moment, executives, moral executives that that are caring and compassionate people in their communities, are driven to make uh, obscene decisions on behalf of their own Because that's and their
4: fiduciary duty they under company law. They have a legal law.
0: and fiduciary duty yeah. and it's been tested many times Ed that when push comes to shove you can be as ethical as you like but when push comes to shove You you protect your shareholder interests at all costs. So
4: how do social enterprises get around that then? Well, we
0: don't principally have shareholders, or if we do, they are in a minority. We are owned by whole communities. Um, We have those primacy of rules in our constitution that make us very, very unique. And so the question is to, are we part of the capitalist system or the Mm. uh, socialist system? But we're just part of the new economy where we're finding solutions to long-standing, stubborn problems.
4: So you're reforming education and you're reforming company law.
0: And I think I'm
2: going to add to that, setting new standards and clarity and, and procurement, because we've got to get away from this. We'll consider value, but then it comes down to price. We've got to create a new way of actually identifying what value is so and so joining up. And, yes. Yeah, and product. join, and joining up expenditure. So, um, so that we, we can look at value. Um, because I think that's the missed opportunity. You know, if, if government's buying water or a schools buying water, purely on the price of water and not looking at the, the international impact of buying a water whose profits go uh, to water aid. Unless you've got those two things on the table at the same time, right. you can't make a value equation. You're, there are lots of examples. You're,
0: you're, you, you know, your point about are we on the brink of a social enterprise explosion? Well, probably not quite yet because they exist in a market which doesn't recognise the added value and contribution that they make. And until we can resolve that and the Social Value Act that was taken through by Chris White, MP, and Hazel Bliers on behalf of Labour is a glimpse into the future where we start taking decisions. £270 billion of public procurement. We make those decisions through a social and an environmental and an economic lens. Whereas currently, everyone will tell you we, we make our decisions based on what's cheapest, and, and that's not sustainable.
4: Okay, let's do a little thought, thought experiment. One of us, and I'll let you guess which one, has got this brilliant idea for a make-your-own-sandwich chain. Um, and you know it's going to sort of massively take off and take over the world it's it's because shop being I mean, all manner they're all manner shall, of
3: problems shall, integral to you, you it so you refuse hygiene. Hygiene. I excuse hygiene! excuse me <laughs>
4: interrupting uh so so one of us has a, and I, you know you can guess which one has the has this brilliant idea um but let's say and, and it will definitely sweep the world and, and all <laughs> that uh but but let's say that You know, one of us also wants to, like, make a profit here, like a a personal profit. Is that one of the barriers? You've got to have an ethical purpose in mind. Is there scope for entrepreneurs to make profit from social enterprise?
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'm asking for a friend. (laughs) <laughs> um so a i think you should stick to politics rather yeah, than exactly. uh, thanks, thanks thanks very much that's what the uh, town cry said on jeremy vine uh, <laughs> it's becoming a trend Look, secondly it, it's about fair value extraction and of course yeah. if you're an entrepreneur and you've put your blood sweat and tears and maybe 10 years of your career into starting up a business you, you're right to expect getting a, a, you know an equitable return but it's, it is about that What's fair, what you put in and what you take out. And so it's important that workers are recognized for the contribution they make, the communities where businesses exist, but also the, the extraction of, of our, you know, natural resources. And so I don't have a problem with an entrepreneur doing very, very well. I don't think it's compatible to tell a social entrepreneur that you can be filthy rich and we'll yeah. be relaxed about that because Indeed. it's about doing well and doing good.
4: Partly my question was a leading question, which is also. Should there be something in the tax system? And I did wonder about this as a social enterprise minister and failed to do anything about it. Uh, you know, sending me- incentives through the tax system does have an effect. Should there be some favoured status for for social
0: enterprises? For now, again, it's definition well, and and all of that. Not but- not for social enterprises. What you want to do is is give companies, whatever their organisational form, t- tax encouragement. For doing the right thing, the first and easiest thing is about reporting and transparency around pay ratios, tax sure. arrangements. You know, you can show one more radically. The
2: whole thing about taxes—it's a negative thing, right? People perceive taxes as negative, and then we get into the the language moves to tax breaks—is that still bad or less bad? We need to reinvent something that's the you know the opposite, a positive. You know, we need to reward the value that's being created, and I think that's the problem. There's, there's a major rethink; otherwise, it's all it's going to be incremental progress from where
0: we are. And we we don't have time. I mean, that's the the real challenge around so many of the issues we're facing. We need some urgent action. We can't just wait for a natural evolution to take place. Uh, In terms of radical tax action, you can, of course, think up a whole host of ways of how you can curate a tax system which rewards good behaviour, both for individual citizens and also for big corporations. And currently, there are very few incentives on companies to do the right thing. And no wonder they don't. What else could we do? I mean, certainly education, public procurement, and a progressive tax system are a a number of those things. I think making it much easier to set up a social business, because at the moment you are, again, discriminated against. If you set up a community interest company, you can't file your uh, accounts online like you can if you set up a private business. Uh, it always feels as if we're on the periphery of the business conversation rather than at the heart. And I do believe like Victor Adebowala, our chair. He also ran something called Turning Point, Turning Point yeah, which still is does. Social Enterprise. Still yeah, does. He's our chair. He was yeah. one of your social enterprise yeah. ambassadors, as yeah. was I. Um, and, you know, we are beginning to see whether it's on a community level, community setting up community businesses to take back control over energy or transport. We are seeing a huge wave. You know, we've got figures that, that clearly articulate that one third of all social enterprises have been established in just the last three years wow and it's a global phenomenon too. that shows
4: what a good minister you had 10 years ago <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, played the uh, i mean the
4: the, the other, one other thing i wanted to ask is about young people because i think that and we sort of touched on this in in a little bit in the conversation but i think isn't the other reason why one should feel a sense of optimism about social enterprise and and other sort of different forms of business is that it goes with the grain of what young people are
0: thinking? So you know, what
3: we expect as young people, exactly? Jeff is a borderline millennial. <laughs> yeah.
0: What's interesting is um, Deloitte published this year. They do an annual or biannual. Uh, millennial Attitude Survey and it's a global survey on Millennial Attitudes. Distrust in business has increased now to 75% of all young people do not believe that businesses are in it for anything. Do you remember, other than do you remember taking part in the survey <laughs> <laughs> um,
4: These attitudes
0: are clearly demonstrating that if you want to recruit the best talent into your workforce you're going to have to go on a bit of a social and environmental revolution because that's where the best talent wants to go. And so there is a commercial shift that's Locking. taking place. And,
2: and I think to add to that, once that talent finds you, there's no route back. I mean, for Blue, the step change within our growth and, and actually my stress levels would be <laughs> bringing some great talent from what we used to think of as the best employers. So my chief operating officer came from Tesco's. Right. Um, my head of operations has come from Amazon. Because
4: they want to do Because good.
2: they want yeah. to have purpose. They want to it's use to the skills. You know, it, it's no longer the if I want to do good, I need to volunteer for a charity. How can I do what I'm good at and make something really good happen? And that's highly addictive, really motivating. Okay. And it feels like we're at a tipping point of, of awareness, actually. So we might have been aware of social enterprise for the last eight or nine years. But that's only just starting, I think, that the we're only just starting to really get momentum within the guys I have a pint with on a, on a Friday.
4: And just for our listeners, you know, they might have an idea even better than make your own sandwiches. Uh, And they think, oh, I quite like the idea of that social enterprise, you know, model. You know, I'm not looking to make a huge profit myself. I want to do this. You know, I want to make a living from it, but I I want a a business that succeeds. What what do they do?
2: So I think three things for me. One is do something you're really passionate about and want to do. Don't just because it's a unique idea because there's no such thing. And, And you don't have to have a unique idea. You just have to do it differently to compete. I think, secondly, before you get going um do a lot of research around models and social enterprises that are successful there's some great learning resources In fact blues just becoming a case study for said currently so there's lots of learning around there for the side business school yes it is yeah and and i think thirdly um make sure you become members of social enterprise uk because oh, again this being part of a collective movement and therefore being part of something much bigger is is for me the the, the power of being part of progress and keeping faith in those tough days you know there are still bloody awful days like in any business because i guess the bit i forgot to say is remember it's a business with social purpose it's not just about being warm and fluffy and making something good happen because you're a nice person
0: visit our website there's lots and lots of free resources on there Um, and there's lots of help out there there's a foundation for social entrepreneurs that can help you with small grants there's a school for social entrepreneurs there's a big and well-developed ecosystem Thanks to the successive ministers we've had um in the Office of Civil Society, the Office of the Third Sector, and so on and so forth. Um there's a great community, there's lots of learning and sharing. Um but but we all recognize that money in our lives is is not the only goal. And actually this is a great way to bring your compassion your bravery your determination and entrepreneurial spirit all together and actually I don't think anyone that's ever transitioned into social enterprise has ever looked back it's exciting it's thrilling you're at the cut and thrust of business but you're also making a massive contribution to some of the biggest challenges we face
4: and last cheeky question if we get a really brilliant idea can they have some free mentoring from you both
2: Absolutely. There's a great programme called Expert Impact that I mentor through.
4: This yeah, I'm, I'm too
0: busy, Ed, but I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, Peter's too busy helping <laughs> me.
4: Because we did this competition a few weeks ago for a book called Be More Pirate and Sam Conifende, who wrote the book, is offering three people mentoring. So if you've got a great idea yeah, any for social, three for a social enterprise, for a social enterprise <laughs> we'll pick a winner um, and uh, we'll get in touch. Thank you so much. Karen
3: and Peter, you're brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. So what do you think? Well, I was disappointed to hear you trying to advance your idea for the make-your-own-sandwich shops again. I think you should just let that go now. Didn't feel like a very safe space for the make-your-own-sandwich shop. <laughs> no. I I thought there was no no such thing as bad ideas. I thought that was your motto, apart from the make-your-own-sandwich shop. I say that? Um, I was quite inspired hearing about how young people, uh, when when they're choosing... They want to make their own sandwiches too. I don't think anybody wants to make their own sandwiches except at home, Ed. Just you. Let it go. I was quite inspired, though, to say that young people, when choosing companies to work for, this is a big consideration for them and that, that's definitely something to feel optimistic about
4: i suppose if you put together the co-ops episode the social enterprise episode the episode we did with matthew brown from preston you, know, you can sort of see the outlines of what like a different kind of economy might look like i suppose the question that keeps going through my mind and it went through my mind when i was social enterprise minister is how do you scale it up you know how do you scale it up from bellew water that does a great thing but you know as karen said is a million pounds a year business or at least million pounds a year profit you know how, how do you make it like a lot bigger and how and i think i suppose that's sort of if, if i kind of i think it is a sort of further work test that that would be the thing i would say and I, I think we had some really good clues from karen and peter about some of the things that we could do you know changing the ownership uh, rules, uh, you know the education piece. Uh, talked about taxation, procurement. I think, but I think that's sort of where I would put my energy.
3: Reasons to be cheerful: a podcast about ideas with Ed
2: Miliband and Jeff Lloyd.
1: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June.
0: post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today
1: it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax
2: and think about
1: work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com.
4: We'd really like to hear what you think about social enterprises, about this idea of business, doing good being oriented towards social good as its primary purpose please do let us know what you think and also take up that what i think is a quite nice offer from karen and peter to mentor you to help you if you come up with a really good idea about what a social enterprise might do for for a social enterprise i'm sure there are lots of people out there with ideas please do get in touch with us reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com you can find us on twitter at cheerfulpodcast also on instagram at cheerfulpodcast.com and also facebook.com forward slash Reasons to be Cheerful podcast. Simon Barnes emailed us in to say how much he enjoyed the latest episode of Reasons to be Cheerful, the one on the National Education Service. Uh, He says, I think it's a powerful idea. The idea of creating a fully nationalised lifelong system genuinely excites me, and I think it would be the best thing for young people in my classroom. He says he's a teacher and NEU representative. He says, I think the National Education Service is perhaps the most powerful tool we might have in rewriting the purpose of work in modern society as something which develops the individual as a citizen, moving beyond a comprehensive system as it exists today. I envisage a system which enables young people to get into a job and allows them to offer whatever they wish to society. It would also allow them to find their place in a workplace that meets their needs. I'm writing to you because I wondered what your thoughts were on this and how you might see the role of trade unions and industry in helping to develop it further. Well, Simon, I think it's a good Point and and you know I hope that as this idea develops, the people developing it will talk to people right across, you know, all sectors of society.
3: Yeah, and and that my takeaway from that episode was just what a, a mess, what a weird hodgepodge the education system is. Dog's breakfast, yeah. yeah. Uh, This comes from Tony who says, I listened to your programme on education today and found it interesting and thought-provoking. The programme reminded me of my middle grandson who, at the age of 12, started secondary school and came home with a great discovery he'd made. His discovery was that there are men teachers at the age of 12. He hadn't realised that there was such a thing. Why did your programme remind me of that? Well, Ed and Jeff were the only male voices to be heard. uh, All the others, even the people asking the questions, were women. My reason for being cheerful is that there are podcasts just so much better than scheduled radio. Uh, your podcast is one that I'll never miss. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Oh, that's really nice.
4: And, and, you know, we're not sort of in any way tooting our own trumpet here. But I mean, we do. We are very conscious when we pick our guests that we try and get as much diversity as we can and as much gender balance as we can, yeah. particularly given that we're two blokes.
3: This comes from Heather, who says, "I'm a carer who struggles every day with bipolar disorder and existing on benefits. Every Monday morning, I have to muster up positivity to get through the week. uh, Listening to the podcast has helped me focus on what I can do to make the world better, rather than all the things I can't do. This next week, I am applying for Personal Independence Payments as my lifetime disability living allowance claim got shut down. Any chance I can get a tough enough hell yeah mentioned to keep my morale up? Tough enough." Hell yeah. Oh, you still got it, Ed. Uh, She says, I don't feel tough or cheerful about the prospect of losing more money. Also, it would be good to see disability rights policies covered on the show. Surely some countries are getting that right. We will
4: definitely do that on a future show, won't we?
3: Yeah.
2: Send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode. Email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook or tweet at cheerfulpodcast.
3: And here to pitch some ideas, which could be potential reasons to be cheerful, we're joined by comedian Joe Burke. Hello. Hello, hello. hello. Hi. You're having a fellow year, you're not doing Edinburgh this I'm year. I'm not doing
1: Edinburgh, no, no. Next year there shall be a show called Peculiar, which I'm writing now. So, so is
3: there a sense of relief when the programme comes out and you're not in it?
1: Yeah. Also sadness though as well, because I'm usually underneath um Joe Brand or before Joe Brand, obviously. It's um it's nice to see our little faces together. <laughs>
3: So, so, so what else are you up to? You're doing some writing at the I minute.
1: am. I've done three children's books now, so I've just done the third one which is an early chapter book so it's not a picture it's not a beautiful picture book but it's a when they're starting to read proper books
3: and are they the same characters throughout throughout the books
1: no the first book we did was a, a book of 14 funny verses um and the second book was a little story called a squirrel's tale which is about a squirrel that's born without a tail
4: oh mm.
1: um, but it's very lovely and it all turns out wonderful in the end my obviously. heart
4: is melting
3: already <laughs>
1: yes it is and if you saw the pictures they're amazing yes. what's We're, the
3: squirrel called
1: he's called sheridan Sheridan, Sheridan squirrel, squirrel, you see, and his best friend, Paloma Pigeon. Aww. Yes, yes. It's a lovely, lovely tale. what's number about three a tail. then? Number three is called Molly Chip in the Chair. And I'm probably most excited about that one because I wrote the squirrel's tale specifically um, to try and get uh, inclusivity and diversity into schools and to children at a very early That's age great. because he's born without tail, realises that he doesn't need one and is fine as he is and just be the best version of you is the sort of moral in that one. And uh, Molly Chip in the chair is, I don't think there's anything like it out there because um, the main character, Molly, is um, takes delivery of a new wheelchair. And it's a
2: time machine. Wow. Yeah.
3: Good
1: idea. So it's the first lead character that's um, got physical challenges, I believe. Um, Plus it's got loads of... um, I can do so much with her story-wise because she's going to go backwards and forwards in time in it, and she's got a little sausage dog called Chip, which is short for Chipolata, obviously. <laughs> that's great. Um, so yeah, so I'm hoping I'm hoping that's going to do really well because I don't want it to go niche and be in special needs. The whole point yeah, is that yeah. I want it to um, be available for everyone on the bookshelves, so that it's. Getting into children's heads as early as possible—that we're all very different, and and you shouldn't not be a lead character because of any physical challenges.
4: That's great. And what gave you the idea for the books?
1: For the books, um, what it was in 2015, I shot a commercial for a well-known supermarket, and uh, a little boy who was disabled w- played my son in it, and um, he was just three, and he was amazing—you know, so incredible, delightful, you know, happy, yeah. smiley intelligent, fun, just so funny. You know when you just see a little kid that's just got that X factor yeah, that yeah. just makes your heart melt? And um, the mum actually said to me, you know, there's very little literature out there for him. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do this now, which I st- had started to do at the time, I'd like to what a good do, idea. It, do it for a reason because there's lots of children's books out there. And I thought, well, I might as well fill a void and give all, all these kids – Um, a little bit of a a, a shout out and and let them know that they can be lead characters. And I get so many teachers coming up saying, why aren't these available for schools and obviously parents? Because, you know, even if your child doesn't have physical challenges parents great in general yeah are on board with it that's naturally yeah. so I'm really looking for for someone to help me <laughs> do it on a larger scale because you can only get so far on your own so I'd really like some help if anyone's out there good um, good well let's use
4: <laughs> let's let's appeal to our listeners yes yeah.
1: yes an appeal to get Molly Chip in the chair because I'd love her to be an animated character really because that's that would be the the best thing so that children can see her in action and you you know animators would be able to do so much with her yeah yeah that. So that would be that would be ideal. That'd be my dream.
3: So you have brought along some ideas. Oh, I have. What's yes. your first one?
1: Well, my first one is I've just had to renew my passport, which is an awful process, isn't it? Have you done it recently? it's, it's awful. It's the photos, Ed, that I'm I'm mainly talking about. And Jeff, because you cannot smile, can you? No, 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 no. Now you've got you've got to have your eyebrows showing. So whatever hair do you? All right, for guys, whatever hair do you have as a lady, you have to scrape it back like you've got a comb over. Yes, so it's got to be off your face, um, and you're not allowed to smile. Now, who looks good not smiling? Not many people, do they? No. Now you've heard of RBF.
3: I don't know if I've heard what well, RBF.
1: Resting bitch face.
3: Aha. Uh-huh. Right. Have okay. I got an RBF? Do you think? No. Okay.
1: No. No.
3: No. You've got some smiley. Yeah. What Ed, do you see any RBF Ed? in that face? No. Oh. No,
1: actually, <laughs> no. It's kinder than I thought.
4: Right. <laughs> you say the nicest things you
1: can well, come I back. <laughs> But mine isn't a resting bitch face. Mine is a resting coffin face. So literally, my face—I've just had them done this morning. I look dead. It looks like how I would be if you lifted the lids. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know why we can't, just as a smile. reason to be cheerful, allow everyone to smile.
4: I think it seems pretty reasonable to me,
1: don't you think?
3: Well, is this some kind of international thing? it's to do with biometrics? And um, I couldn't possibly tell you. In a, <laughs> In a, in a lot, of I'd countries. have to. Yeah, so a lot of the time when you travel now, you're not you're not dealing exclusively with a human being at the border. You're going through all kinds of scanners. No, and it's stuff. the
1: scanners apparently. But, but why can't you smile at a scanner? Exactly, because then, because what it's encouraging you to do, isn't it, when you're business traveling or on holiday, is to look like you're having the worst time ever.
3: Mm. How is your passport photo?
4: Dreadful. Um, I just can't even remember. I just trying. you not got
1: to... resting coffin face as well.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: No, no, no I just sort of think
4: I look sort of. I don't know. I, just... <laughs> I look like a recently arrested arsonist. in <laughs> I think criminality. I definitely think criminality is a common feature.
1: Mm. It's not a good look, and I just Apparent don't see why we can't smile. I just think.
4: I well, I'm. I'm I buy that.
3: Excellent. Compulsory smiling Co- in passport photos. Yes,
1: and and I mean no Mexican Mex- wave
4: or any. I mean you've no. got to sort of within limits. No,
1: no, no Mexican wave or Mexican moustaches or hats. Yeah, sombrero definitely not. No. But that does lead me on to one of my others. Yeah, free
4: sombreros for all.
1: No, no, no. It's close, very close. Good guess. It should be a legal requirement, Ed Jeff, for everyone to wear fancy dress at least one day oh, a week. Oh fuck
4: no, definitely not. <laughs>
3: I am definitely oh, no, rejecting. Oh, no, no. There are very
4: few ideas that I've rejected, <laughs> but this one I am definitely rejecting. <laughs> when was oh, no. the last no. time you wore fancy like, dress? Like never. Really? I mean just I hate fancy
3: dress. Well you did it on I the don't last mind. leg when they oh, put you in the true. leather jacket and the t shirt oh, and the true. jeans and the summer. Okay, well maybe I, I withdraw.
1: It was it or was not fun? Yes. Yeah, it well, was. See, Is that kind of fancy
4: dress? I sort of think it's more like, you know, sort of Widow Twanky fancy dress. pantomime stuff.
1: No, you don't stuff. have to go right. that. You know, my my absolute favourite happens to be the ostrich. Anything where you look like you're riding... Oh, like the of... Bernie Clifton. Yes. Yes. yes, yes. That's my absolute favourite. I actually bought one of those and that was in my Well, as life long as it rachets. isn't the ostrich, I might consider <laughs> it.
4: Definitely not the ostrich. And I'm not going to be, be. like part of a horse with Jeff or anything like that. <laughs>
3: this has come up on a number of yeah, occasions no, you're you're resolute.
4: Thing. What's the reason why you Well because
1: again like the smiling in photos, you instantly feel better. You do. Honestly, if I had a whole box full of dress up here, you would instantly feel much better than you do now.
3: I do like it sometimes when I go to karaoke and they've got a box of wigs and things. So I consider myself not a fancy dress person. Are you not not a fan of a curly wig? Well, I'm sort of more open to it
4: now that I know it's not an ostrich and it's not (laughs) sort of... Pantomime. It's just, I don't, you know, when people invite you to parties and they say it's a fancy dress theme, my heart just sinks. I mean really? It doesn't very happen very often to me. See, my now heart sinks I'm... when
3: I get invited to a party and then yeah, it's that's just true. even worse when it's a fancy <laughs> dress theme. <laughs> but I it's think a it's a 70s better. theme
4: and I think I look like the 70s anyway, you know. <laughs> <sort of> like, <laughs> but
3: then that's uh, good
4: news all round. Yeah, I suppose that's true. <laughs> but I'm not sure people would know. I mean, it's like, you I don't know, it's Jim Callahan or something. Oh, God. I mean, it's just like that. See, that's just like... <laughs> It's just the effort and the thing. And it's just, yeah. <laughs> it,
1: is, it is a bit of effort, but I well, think it's worth it. Well, it's a reach. This, it.
4: this idea is a reach for me, but you've sort of, Jeff has Let's kind see. of pulled it back by yeah.
1: mentioning
3: the last leg thing. Joe, what else do you have?
1: Um, I've got free ice cream on bank holidays. Yep. I just think that's a given.
3: Yes, and more bank holidays as well. Well, yes. We have the fewest bank holidays, I think, of any country in Europe. And, right. Yeah. We're so well informed these Ger- days, Jeremy by the way. Jeremy Corbyn says we're going to have something yeah, like six, we six new four ones. More, I think four Are more, we? Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That would
4: be nice. Okay, well, and to free ice cream on bank holidays are more of them.
1: It would be nice to have a hump of the week one mm. because they're always a Friday or a Monday.
3: Why? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with the exception of Good Friday, they're always a Monday. Yeah. And in other countries, I know from having spent time in Sweden, they move around. And if a bank holiday, for example, falls on a Tuesday, people tend to be allowed to have the Monday off work as well. That's good, isn't well, that it? Is yeah. good. Like, they know how to do days, it, though, don't, they, don't they? They do. You know. That's good. That's good. Yes. Well, yeah. that's that's a plan. And then. would we would we have anything for the lactose intolerant?
1: Um, Lollies. Yes. Yes. Or just water. Quarm, you know, if you want to. Be, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be fussy. <laughs>
3: Yeah, scrambled tofu ice cream. Exactly. Yes.
1: You can get that, I think, can't I you? I believe so. Yes, yeah, there is some vegan sort ice of cream. vegan ice cream, yeah. yes. So there you go. So that's a winner. We're all agreed on that.
3: I'm loving these ideas. Yeah. yeah. We've just got time for one more. Okay.
1: If you are going to constantly speak on your phone in public places like uh, trains and out in the street, The speaker must be on. You must not have earphones in. We must be able to hear the other side of the conversation. Oh, that's quite good because
3: there is sort of a hypocrisy that you can be in a train carriage having a conversation with somebody you're with and that's fine. But everybody gets annoyed if you're on the phone.
1: Yep. If you're going to have a conversation in public space, it can't be on the the headphones, it has to be out loud. I think fewer
4: people would do it. I did did a reshuffle on the train once. Did
1: you? That wouldn't have
3: been
4: very good. Did they mind
1: moving chairs?
4: Uh, no I mean, it wouldn't have been very good it wouldn't have been very good to have it on speaker would
3: it no but i mean you're in public anyway and people I think it did have... it in the vestibule actually did you really yeah. i think it
4: was planned in the, on the train but i think it definitely did one or two calls on the train
3: well have you never been sort of concerned about having calls in the back of taxis or on public transport i tried to be careful yeah joe thank you for those ideas you are welcome and um we're if... going to crowdfund your book
1: Oh yes, please. Cause, no, seriously. Because that's that's bigger than than every. That's bigger really than good. Everything bigger it's even bigger than free ice cream on things. It's bigger than yes, bigger than the passports. It's yeah. It should be done. Defo,
3: Joe Burke. Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband
2: and Jeff Lloyd.
3: Christmas has come early. <laughs> I treated Ed. To a little gift, I've been unable to persuade you to watch Love Island. However, I have bought for you a Love Island water bottle with your name on it. I was going
4: to ask you what distinguishes it as a love, and it's a dangerous question to ask. But what distinguishes <laughs> it as a Love
3: Island bottle? Well, you've got all these beautiful young things yeah. in the heat, and they have to stay hi- hydrated. I see. So the producers give them each their own water bottle. They don't want you know bodily I fluids see. being exchanged from one to another unless they. I thought that was the it. whole point of yes. it, right? Yeah. Um, so they give them, um, and they've got their name. Names on their bottles, and and you can you can buy them. So I thought I'm going to treat so, my friend so,
4: Ed. So we're sort of one step away from being on Love Island. With, we are. We, we've got the bottles.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. It's really kind of you. you. You're more than welcome. i carry it around with pride. And a happy ending because we did make it back after the flat tire incident.
4: Yes, we did. And uh, the nice man Pete from the RAC was uh, was really good. Uh, and I met this bloke Tony who I was I watched the um quarterfinal of the football round near your house um that was the england-sweden game with some friends and i met this bloke tony in the pub i know politicians always say that but now you're my witness um and he's a really really nice bloke and we talked about everything from brexit to theresa may to you know everything to the england team um and uh, and you know there he was again as we were finishing the flat tire
3: incident will you be bringing your water bottle to luna festival I might well be. Because that's, uh, that's our next stop it is, our on the n- Grand port of, our next port of call, isn't it? Yeah. Fresh from Latitude. I saw that Stranglers are playing. Really? Maybe be going along and singing along with Golden Brown? Could, could, could well be. Yeah.
4: I thought it was Gordon Brown. <laughs> uh, Can uh, we thank our guests? Uh, yes, let's um, uh, let's do
3: so. I'd like to thank uh, Karen Lynch and Peter Holbrook. And thanks to the brilliant Joe Burke. Emma Caution produced our podcast with backup and research from Alex feist and Lindsay Todd. Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. James Deacon made the eye Ed Seed wrote the music. And the artwork was designed by... Emily Power. Well, he's been the man with the flat tyre. He's been the man with the spare tyre. Thank you. And these have been... Reasons to be Chifford.